at some point we are going to have to do a whole show about how good this show sounds. Just a bunch of people. 
right, everybody, welcome to Down Ballot. We do the show live every Tuesday, 7.30 p.m. Pacific till about whenever, and then it's time for local love. I'm producer Dave, and you can find me damn near anywhere. And this is the councilman. You can find me at T-H-E underscore councilman on Twitter um, and all sorts of other places in the social medias. You'll have to find me uh, out there in the nether sphere if you really want to connect with me. Uh, connect with us. We're glad to see you, uh, viewer. We're glad to have you listening podcast listener um so please continue to to watch us on the twitch and uh download us on all of your podcast catching devices uh we love to see you here and we're really excited to get into the local derp tonight yeah yeah i didn't have anything to do with the docket this week i was super busy yesterday and today didn't have time to get on it so uh thanks for taking care of this this week there's going to be some super joy i think next week when i'm not around so you're going to have plenty of fun um there may not be a show next week i may be going to um a fundraiser (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in a journalistic exactly. capacity. Uh, more on Good. that later in the docket, actually. So why don't we why don't we get going here? What do we got for leading off this week? Well, you know how we're always catching these stories on uh, the shows here's uh, the look from the local newses, and t- to you and me, it always seems like there's questions that go unanswered, or sometimes the stories raise more questions than they actually do answer. Right, and there's always something that they're missing, or there's some some extra bit of the story we're just never going to hear. This story is about as as down ballady as you can get when it comes to that. Um, so uh, I'll let the the news play out here on ABC Seven. Fantastic! I hope it works. It was the only non-NBC clip I, I pulled this week. It happened at a Halloween party yesterday on Las Animas Avenue at the home of a Gilroy council member. ABC7 News reporter Luz Pena spoke to council member Rebecca Armandiris, who confirmed the young man arrested in connection to the shooting is a family member. Tonight, exclusive video of the moment Gilroy police officers and Morgan Hill's SWAT team surrounded the house of 19-year-old Benjamin David Calderon in connection to the fatal Halloween weekend shooting at Las Animas Avenue on Saturday. Police arrested Calderon on Sunday. His neighbors described him as a good person. Tonight, they were shocked to see the arrest and SWAT team surge his home. I just want to ask the community, I want to ask everyone to continue to to pray for the families of everyone who's been affected and to continue to offer them their support. We spoke exclusively to Gilroy's council member, Rebecca Armendaris, who confirmed Benjamin Calderon is family. The 19-year-old is her second cousin. Council member Armendaris said she was home during the shooting, but was not part of the Halloween party that took place in her side yard. She said there's a second home on their property. One of the neighbors who wants to remain anonymous said this parking lot was packed with cars. He also mentioned there were about 70 people at the party and young people drinking outside. One person died on scene. Three others were injured. Two of those victims are in critical condition. All victims between the ages of 17 and 19 years old. This is the audio recording of firefighters responding. Three immediate, two neck wounds, and one abdominal wound. Gilroy police officers confirmed a fight broke out during the party, but have now released the connection between Calderon and the shooting. In Gilroy, Luz Peña, ABC7 News. So I love those when they talk to the neighbor. The neighbor's never like, you know what, that guy was a real piece of shit. <laughs> of course not. He used to mow the yard. He was a very nice young man. Um, yeah, it's always, always that. Um, and then the other neighbors of the the incident location are like, "Oh yeah, it was packed with cars. And there were teenagers drinking and smoking in the street, and 
you know, they're, they're, they're always causing a ruckus over there. Um, yeah, we still don't know all the details. Uh, uh, I do, you know, know the, the councilwoman in question, um, uh, and she's always been an upstanding person as far as I've known. So I, I have no reason to uh, suspect that she had any, um, involvement in the, the goings on, uh, with the, with the shooting, obviously it's at her property. So she's going to have to answer for it in some way or another. Um, so it's not, not a good situation for her. She's in kind of a tight spot. Um, but yeah, there's just a lot of, uh, questions sort of hanging up in the air. And I don't know if the, this story really resolved any of them. <clears throat> no. And I don't think this like has a lot of legs either, even though it's a, even though a Gilroy council person was involved, I, I'm skeptical that we'll hear anything else about this except maybe if there's like candidate debates we end up covering for gilroy that gets spicy right she uh she actually won her seat last year uh on the council so um uh, but i certainly uh this, this will come up in other formats and fora uh, and i'll be sure to keep keep tabs on, on, what, on what's going down but yeah unfortunate situation for her but it's not an uncommon situation uh in any community or the bay area we just have too many damn guns and too many people who are too apt to use them guns um so maybe we can figure that shit out first and then it'll save us all a lot of headaches maybe but that's that's what's never gonna happen i don't even talk to people about guns if somebody like joins the discord and is like i want to debate you about guns i'm like i don't want to debate you about guns i am gun debate right yeah i don't i don't care i don't i don't know i'm fucking i'm like worn out on that issue Oh, but, I'm beyond, I'm beyond, I'm beyond debating. I'm, I'm at the point of like nuclear option. Like I'm just going to come, I'm, they're, they're talking about, Oh, they're coming to get our guns. Yes. I would love to come and get your gun. <laughs> right. Fact. It's going to be the councilman. He'll be there tomorrow at three. I hope that's yeah, all right. I, exactly. I don't give, I don't give two fucks. I, I will take your gun and I will melt <laughs> it down and I will melt it down and I will make like a kid's toy out of it or something. Um, anyway, uh, so that's leading off, uh, another story with not a lot of answers. Um, and just a, a unfortunate situation for everyone involved. Speaking of unfortunate situations for everyone involved, that's what Winners and Losers is all about, right? Certainly. Certainly. Um, so uh, we're going to head into to Winners and Losers where there are no winners. And if uh, this week, uh, I guess uh, they're probably proud, but a re-entrant into the Losers division uh, are the Popo. Well, new developments now in a story our investigative team has been following for three years. For the first time, dozens of videos have been released of a controversial transfer of a mentally ill inmate. That transfer ended with him having permanent brain damage. NBC Bears' Ian Cole takes us through the video, what happened, and the questions one supervisor is asking of the sheriff now. Tonight, the first videos released that led to a multi-million dollar settlement. Everyone's face is blurred and some audio is missing. It was August 25th, 2018. An inmate at Elmwood Correctional Facility in Milpitas, Andrew Hogan, who has a mental illness, becomes erratic in his cell. He feels sick and wants to see a doctor. It takes him 14 minutes to cooperate and simply get into a sheriff's van for transport back to the main jail in San Jose. On the road, Hogan smashes his head against the van dozens of times and starts bleeding heavily. Have a seat, guy. And we're going to need some assistance when we get there. The deputies question if they should go to the hospital but continue on to leave it up to their sergeant. Hey, I need water. They arrive at the jail and wait for medics. So we're going to wait. He can do all the damage he wants. We're waiting for it to be safe for us. It takes 21 minutes for firefighters and paramedics to arrive, but a deputy insists on protocols that they wait for a hazmat team due to the blood. 
It takes another five minutes before he's taken out and driven to a hospital. Hogan is now severely disabled. His family settled with the county for $10 million. And yet there is no real accountability. The two supervisors who are on duty in the sheriff's office have, uh, to my knowledge, not been disciplined. County supervisors were unanimous when they gave the sheriff a vote of no confidence in August after years of incidents at the county's jails, which Sheriff Lori Smith oversees. She has not stepped down, but has said she'd welcome an outside investigation. Why wasn't there follow through on the internal affairs investigation? Somebody in the sheriff's department made the judgment that an investigation was warranted. And somebody in the sheriff's department made the judgment to put it on the shelf. I think we have to know who and why. We reached out to the sheriff's office for comment, but have not heard back. In San Surprise. Ian Cole, NBC, Bay Area News. Uh, Joe Sumidian fighting for us. So, <clears throat> like, they said that this person was, like, banging their head against the vehicle and there was, like, lots of blood. Wouldn't Yes. Wouldn't you, I don't know, at least, like, pull over and try to, immediately get medical attention i don't, I don't I mean i don't know what protocol on all that would be but like oh let's just keep going and see what the sergeant says as this person fucking bleeds out in our fucking vehicle i, I don't know about that you are just too damn rational producer dave you never survive in law enforcement uh, <laughs> it seemed like a lot of cya going on there right just uh oh we gotta wait for this we gotta wait for hazmat because of the blood or we got to wait for this person or the other person or this this medic and it's like aren't you all trained in cpr or just is there no one here who can talk someone down from a mental uh you know incident or a mental health uh uh situation maybe there was no one there that like but i don't know <clears throat> i just feel like i just feel like they I don't know. They could have done anything else. Basically, it seems like they every every step of the way in this, it seems like people did the wrong thing. Yeah, and it's 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 amazing that they were. I mean, they basically were fined ten million dollars for this, and apparently, apparently, there's been no change in you know accountability or supervisorial leadership or whatever. So that's the real sad thing. Is and I mean, the family got ten million dollars. I'm sure they're not crying about that, but it's not like that's bringing back their their son, right? Um, anyway, well, again, a sad situation and a place where a situation where there are no winners, really. Um, even the folks that got $10 million aren't really winning in that situation. No, I don't think that's a win at all. No. Um, but speaking of, uh, losers, um, and, and police, um, there's even more, uh, and it, it extends to when they're out of uniform and they're just driving down the road and deciding to like, you know, pop off and punch people. Serving allegations against a San Jose police officer, Officer George Brown was arrested for punching a woman during a road rage incident. Brown was off duty at the time when he called police to help after almost being involved in a crash on 680. An argument followed on the side of the freeway before Brown punched a woman twice. He eventually drove away after scuffling with the man. Person driving by in a Tesla saw this incident and reported it to police and cameras on that Tesla recorded the altercation and were used as evidence. It's disappointing when a police officer on or off duty acts in such a, a reckless and violent way. Uh, and we're gonna hold the officer accountable here. Uh, we, we demand a, a higher standard for police officers. It's really built into the badge. And if convicted, Officer Brown could face jail time. You don't say. 
Is that what happens when you assault somebody as a result of a road rage incident? You could possibly face jail time. Well, they're a cop, so, you know, that that law typically doesn't apply to them at all. Um, we have to really get our heads around that. Uh, yeah, fantastic. Have you ever had road rage, Producer Dave? I haven't driven, I haven't driven in such a long time, but I get, I get, I get like angry on my bike at people who drive cars. Does that count? Yeah. Angry bike rage. That's, That's... totally a thing. <laughs> have um, you ever, um, have you ever tried to punch a driver of, of an automobile for, for, you know, swerving into the bike lane or, or anything like that? You know, I only really drove when I was like in my late teens and early twenties. And you would think that that would be like a time that people, people would be more inclined to road rage or like reckless driving, but I was super chill when I was driving. I was like never in a big hurry and shit. You just seem super chill in general, producer Dave. I really can't. You know, I, <laughs> that's I, I definitely, not true. Well, I mean, you, you unless, go to bed unless, at a certain time and you don't. <laughs> well, unless unless you venture into your tweets and replies on Twitter, obviously. Um, but <laughs> anyway, but you know, I'll stick to it. You're you're just a lovely teddy bear. <laughs> yeah, I, you would think that. Um, you would think that a cop would be less likely to be involved in a road rage incident than other people because their job is to drive. Well, they've got a lot of rage, I think, built up or pent up in their systems. Um, that's what a lot of the, the issue is with the cowboy cops, especially. Um, so I, I think they, they just seem to be a violent bunch by nature. All right, I'm going to let this next clip roll. Uh, somebody at my door seems rather insistent. I'll be right back. Dunk, 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 dunk. Go for it. Westfield says she understands the importance of wearing masks, but not when middle school kids are running outdoors. <laughs> it's free time for a PE class at Shaboya Middle School in honor of Halloween. Shaboya. Like in all other classes, during PE, everyone wears a mask, even though they're outdoors and a significant number are vaccinated. Our Evergreen Prevention Plan does have students wear masks indoor and outdoor, but we have um, exceptions for that, which is when you're involved in, in strenuous activities, you can remove your mask. But some parents think the Evergreen School District standard needs a change. I don't run or exercise with a mask on. I mean, I don't think the kids should either. Karen Westfield is getting parents together to lobby the school board next week. She wants to change the rules for middle schoolers who are of vaccination age. She points to the fact that almost two-thirds of children ages 12 to 17 in Santa Clara County are fully vaccinated. And you had hot days in August, September, and October, and the kids are having to wear masks outdoors for PE. They have to run a mile every week. Westfield is all for wearing masks inside the classroom. It's only the outdoor rule that she's hoping to change. The California Public Health Department says wearing masks outdoors in K through 12 schools is optional, not in Evergreen or a majority of other Bay Area school districts. Mask wearing has been our, our number one mitigation strategy and allows us to get kids back into school. I, I would hate to have a, to send a class home. Evergreen says it understands the mask fatigue, but for now, they say they'll keep doing what's best to keep their COVID numbers low. Damien Trujillo, NBC Bay Area News. Yeah, I don't know on this one. What do you think, Councilman? Uh, it's a typical story. One parent against the world. Um, the majority, from what I've heard and what, what I've seen uh, from data, the majority, overwhelming majority of parents and students um, are happy to be back in school, happy to do whatever they need to do in terms of masking up or providing proof of vaccination or you know negative test or whatever it happens to be. Um, parents are happy to have their kids back in school, whether because they need a babysitter or because uh, because they, they need should, a babysitter. 
more than likely, but genuinely, or maybe they genuinely care about their child's education and social emotional well being. Um, that could be true, I suppose. And I mean, both could be true, I suppose, in different quantities, different levels. Um, and then kids, you know, obviously, majority of them want to be back in school um, for that social emotional well being, obviously, but also to learn too, right? Um, and you'd be amazed how much students actually want to learn. Uh, so it's good news for everyone in general. And then there's the one Karen parent, right? <laughs> who's, who's like, well, I don't, I don't know if I want my kid having to wear a mask when they're outdoors. And I get it, you know, whatever I, it's, you know, fine. You don't, you don't like it, but at the same time, we're all in this together, folks, Karen, you know, we're, we're this is a community. Your, your kid's going to a public school, right? Um, if you want to homeschool them, and take on the responsibility yourself, then you can do whatever you want. You can have whatever rules you want. They don't have to wear clothes to come to, to class if you're homeschooling them, right? Um, whatever you want, it goes. But you know what? You're getting a free public education in, frankly, a fantastic district. Evergreen School District is pretty damn good. Um, so, uh, you know, get used to it and live with it and try to roll with it and enjoy the free public education that your child is getting. Um, That's all. I think that uh, it might be reasonable to uh, let the kids take their masks off outside. Um, it seems like outside is pretty low transmission rate. Um, and it's just you're going to end up with kids like dropping their mask on the ground and stepping yeah. on it. And like yeah. the kids just, are kids are a mess. So like if they take it off, they're going to fucking set it down and lose it. Like it's it's not it might not even be that that the you know that the consideration here is whether or not the spread would happen outside it might just be like the kid's gonna fucking like fucking set the mask down in some tan bark you know <laughs> yeah and it's also just set, like yeah it's just it's setting standards too and it makes it simple right it's like okay when can i wear the mask when i take it when can i take it off when do i put it on no you just wear it you're at school wear the mask period especially for little kids right high schoolers uh, you might be able to uh, have a little more nuance there right they can probably get it they're not going to be the ones necessarily leaving their masks just anywhere right um but yeah, the younger kids, um, even middle schoolers and below, you, you just have to create some sort of stand, uniform standard and go with it um, just to keep things simple. Um, even if it doesn't necessarily, you know, move the needle a ton in terms of uh, safety and, and, and providing pre more prevention, right? It's not going to hurt anything, right? It's not going to make it worse, right? So might as well. And, uh, you know, again, the Karens will just have to deal with it. But We'll love we'll love putting on the clips whenever they <laughs> whenever they want to pop off, um, and then local news decides they're going to take two or three minutes to, you know, elevate their story. I love to deflate their story because I I hate how the local news takes one squeaky wheel and makes it it makes them into some sort of you know movement of social justice. It's like no, this is one parent, and there's ten thousand parents in this school district, so or families. I mean, we'll keep an eye on this. I think that I think that this one's going to go nowhere because it was just one story, and the lady didn't even seem like a like she didn't even seem like she was going to go to the school board and threaten Mrs. Pennington or anything. So yeah, and as we're moving towards uh, uh, you know more broader uh, loosening of mask mandates, I mean, we might have a surge who knows in the in the winter here, but I don't think it'll be as bad as as we've seen. I think we are at least locally. We're doing a great job. So good on everyone out there. You know, all the folks like the 76% of Santa Clara County that's double vaccinated now. Thank you. Um, the 90 plus percent that's single vaccinated. Thank you. Um, so let's get this done. Let's get the kids vaccinated and let's all just uh, try and try and move on. Even if it's just here in Santa Clara County, let's, let's keep moving forward. I'm enjoying being able to do shit again. All right, now our next story is about In-N-Out Burger, it seems like. In-N-Out Burger um, <clears throat> had some problems up in, was it Contra Costa County? 
where they uh, closed down a bunch, like all of their locations because they didn't want to go through the, the trouble of checking people for a vaccine. But I don't think that I've been checked for a vaccine going inside somewhere to buy a hamburger. It really has. Yeah. And there's no mandate. Um, so it's, it's really uh, place to place how they want to roll with their protocol. Um, and I certainly have been to in and out lately and haven't had to show the vaccine proof. Um, did wear a mask and was asked to wear a mask. Um, but yeah, this story is really on here because the local news just missed a beautiful opportunity for a pun, but um, I'll, I'll cover that on the other side of the clip. <laughs> it's also a big issue over the issue of restaurants. Should restaurants have to check COVID cards before letting people eat inside? Now, this battle up and going after San Francisco Contra Costa shut down in and out burger locations for refusing to follow that rule. NBC Bay Ginger Conajero Saab joins us now uh, with another protest planned for this evening. That's right, Jessica. That protest has started to or planned to start shortly here at 530. But we spoke to a woman that's here early for that. And she says while she's here to support In-N-Out, she's also here to defend her right to choose. Now, unlike that woman, In-N-Out did not mince any words when talking about this uh, issue in the past. They said very powerfully they should not be the vaccine police for the county. And from what we saw today, they're not the only ones that feel that way. Recent in-and-out closures in the Bay Area have resurfaced a big question. Who should enforce vaccine requirements or mandates from the county? Some fast food chains we visited today, Burger King, Wendy's, KFC, and McDonald's, didn't want to bother answering that question. So like In-N-Out Burger, they've now closed off all indoor dining. Taco Bell was an exception. This one in Walnut Creek had an open dining room, complete with signs reminding customers of their requirements. But after completing my order from a digital kiosk saying I was dining indoors, no one asked for a proof of vaccination or a negative COVID test. Snitch. The experience was different at Chick-fil-A. Cashiers were checking vaccine cards for customers dining in. It's a good thing to enforce it. I saw the one in front of me and she did pull out her card and she was dining in. Kalpana Mishra co-owns Babalu's Mediterranean restaurant in downtown Walnut Creek. She supports masking and vaccine requirements, but admits enforcing the mandate puts her employees and her business in a precarious position. Even if we ask, they get really upset. Nobody wants to carry their vaccine card. Nobody wants to show that. So we at least ask them to be masked. Mishra, like in and out is looking for more support from the county or local officials. Five in and out locations in Contra Costa County remain shut down for indoor dining tonight. But, you know, Jessica, if you take a look at this drive through line behind us, it looks like just a normal day for In-N-Out. Long line still of customers looking to get, you know, what they usually get here at In-N-Out. We'll have more <laughs> updates uh, at 5.30 and at later newscasts on that protest. We're live here in Pleasant Hill. Ginger Conjero Saab, NBC Bay Area News. Thank you, Ginger. The fucking non-story. Okay, what's the pun? Well, Ginger sounds like she goes to In-N-Out quite a bit, huh? But there's a lot of people here getting what they usually get at In-N-Out. I don't know, burgers. Um, My no, favorite they, thing, they, and Chip's sitting here next to me, that's who was uh, insistent upon coming Chip. in. So it wasn't, it wasn't the fucking, it wasn't the po, it wasn't the po-po. Um, <clears throat> Chip kind of giggled, and I thought it was funny, too, when that lady was like, I'm here to support In-N-Out. It's like, shut up. Right. Um, but I do miss, the, the, so the pun that they missed, and uh, on one of the other uh pieces of coverage of this jessica aguirre said something like you know in and out is doubling down and i'm like are they double doubling down 
come on. Just it was a total missed opportunity. I'm very upset for local news Hack. copywriters. Hack. I'm, I'm yeah, very, I'm very upset for our audience now. I, yeah, sorry, listener. <laughs> sorry, viewer. Sorry, Chip. So sorry, brother, that you had to be privy to that. Hope you're doing well. All right, so we're going to move on to get your shit together, and this is in San Francisco, and this is another story about the Millennium Tower, and this is just more uh, reason to believe they should just knock the fucking thing down or take it apart. Like you don't have to, well, you don't have to destroy it, right? You yeah. remove anything that you can reuse and then rebuild the fucking towers so that it doesn't fucking fall over onto like, I don't know, everything next to it. Yeah. So this here's, a, here's a local news hit on the overall cost to build something like that from the ground up. Four million dollars. That's how much it could have cost to build San Francisco's Millennium Tower correctly from the start and secure it to bedrock, preventing that high rise from sinking and tilting. NBC Barry's investigative reporter Jackson Vanderbecken has the exclusive story of how taxpayers ended up paying much more for something that should have cost much less. Chat's on your side about your joke, by the way. Even finished in 2009, it was sinking and tilting. Built with concrete instead of steel, the 58-story high-rise was cheaper to build, but became the heaviest building west of the Mississippi when it first opened. But despite that weight, it was supported by hundreds of thin concrete piles driven into Old Bay mud, not solid bedrock. The concrete colossus steadily and secretly continued to sink into that ancient mud until word finally got out in 2016, triggering a massive legal battle and the now troubled $100 million fix that's supposed to halt and even reverse some of that leaning. So how much did the Millennium Tower developers save by building the tower that way? We've now learned that by one estimate early on, it would have only cost about $4 million more to support a heavy concrete tower like the Millennium to bedrock. That's about 1% of the $350 million cost of the project. This is so cheap that it should have been taken care of right away. Local engineer Jerry Cawthon served as a consultant to the neighboring Transbay Transit Project until 2004. At that time, Millennium was just one of a cluster of high-rise projects planned around what had been billed as the West Coast's Grand Central Station. Transbay was being built to bedrock, so Cawthon says he figured the other buildings would do the same, given the risk of sinking into the soft surrounding soil. It's mind-boggling that anybody would say, well, let's save ourselves $4 million and take a risk that this might not work out, because the consequences of that risk are enormous. But it wasn't always an easy sell. In fact, Transbay worked up the $4 million estimate to convince one developer to do it, and even offered to foot the bill. Because Cawthon says Transbay was worried a concrete tower on Natoma Street might sink into its planned underground complex. After the developer refused the offer, the city stepped in, and the Natoma project was scuttled. As for the Millennium Tower next door, with virtually an identical foundation designed by the same firm as Natoma's, Transbay did not offer to pay for the upgrade, and Millennium ended up not being anchored to bedrock. The developers of the tower referred us to the Homeowners Association, but have previously said they relied on the expertise of their foundation designer. Transbay's then head, Maria Yardy Kaplan, has never spoken publicly about what happened with Millennium. But question about those events in a deposition in the legal fight, she said paying for the upgrade was up to the developer. 
They chose not to spend the money for profit reasons, I guess. <laughs> it's a mess. <laughs> I like that old guy. He's great. More per apartment from the beginning would have saved a ton of money later. Four million dollars more is not enough to be consequential. It's something that you would just do. I mean, it's done all the time. Things come up like that and you just go ahead and fix it. Jackson Vanderbecken, NBC, Bay Area News. So how much has it cost so far to clean up the millennium mess? Let's go through it for you. The transfer terminal spent $58 million Yikes. on an underground retaining wall to make sure it doesn't cause the millennium to sink any further. It also paid $30 million to settle the litigation. That's all your money, taxpayer dollars. Then there's the $100 million fix that we've been telling you about designed to stop the tower from leaning any further. Now, we Can don't you math? know exactly who's paying for that because it's part of a sealed settlement. The $30 million from the Transbay settlement could be part of it with the developers picking up the rest. But that means that in all, between 150 and $200 million has been paid out for something that might have cost just $4 million initially when the tower was being constructed. Now, our investigative unit has been digging into this for years. To learn more, log on to our website, NBCBerry.com. Click Millennium Tower in our trending bar. There you can read and watch our stories. Here, let's just mount this fucking tower or one of the most the heaviest towers ever built into some fucking mud. Yes, ge- fucking genius, right? I mean, and the dude's dead right. One percent of your budgets. Like, this is one of the things you do. Like, uh, do, do you watch, uh, uh, you know, I know, Bruce Dave, you're not like an avid uh, watcher of the, the home improvement shows or like the Property Brothers or any of those kind of, you know, home construction shows? No. Uh, so <laughs> one of the the sort of tropes of those shows is the moment around like halfway through where everything's going great. The renovation's going fantastic and you know, it's looking fabulous. And then they come across something, they tear out a wall or they tear out the ceiling and they find like, you know, in one episode they found like a snake that was like, you know, an 80 pound snake that it was living in the wall or another time. Typically it's something more, you know, tame like a literally and figuratively like a you know a duct they didn't expect to find and they got to move that duct because they got to have the open concept and take out the wall right so they go to the homeowner and they say yo we understand that we have this budget but you know what in order to get the dream that you want in order to get the house that you want in order to make this house stand properly and like to, you know to, and to be fully uh, uh supported we need to redo this beam right otherwise it's not going to be the code you're not going to get the permits the house is going to be unsafe it could fall on your head right um, so we need to get this beam replaced. Uh, so that it's going to be an extra, whatever, $10,000. I know your whole budget was like 150 K. I know it's a big hit, but you know, we kind of got to do it. And the homeowner's like, uh, yeah, yeah, we got to do it. I mean, we got to be safe, right? So let's do it. And so they make the, the, you know, they pay the extra money. And the good news for them is that the property brothers, by the end of the show, they figure out how to work the budget and find a way to, you know, save them the money down the road. But at the end of the day, this is what happens. Like if you're doing a home, you're doing home improvement, you need to make a uh, you need to you know pay for something to meet code or to make it safe you do it safety you don't scrimp on and now you know 200 million dollars later 4 million dollars doesn't sound like a bad deal well i mean hindsight is 2020 but i just couldn't imagine like deciding just randomly to not mount a skyscraper to something solid even if it costs a little bit more i don't <clears throat> yeah I don't, I don't know. I've stepped in mud before and I've stepped on like rocks before. And I feel like you have completely different experiences doing those two things. And uh, that's just the way it goes. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's in, especially in San Francisco, right? The, there's so much of the city that's built on already built on a landfill. This actually had bedrock beneath it. And, you know, you bet your ass all the other towers in the area are anchored to it. Everything in the city is anchored to it. Everything in Manhattan. Manhattan has the same issue. Uh, you, you know, it's it's got sediment on sediment on sediment on sediment and then bedrock, right? So right. you don't think that uh, the Empire State Building and all these fucking buildings that have lasted for, you know, decades and decades, they're all anchored to bedrock. bedrock. So, yeah, I, I don't understand why with a $395 million budget, you don't spend the extra money it takes to make sure your building is safe and doesn't sink. And now, you know, $4 million, that's like one person's lawsuit. That's one guy who bought a condo, right, in this place, uh, and and they're suing over over this shit, right, to get out of their contract um, or their mortgage. That's probably $4 million right there. One, right? And there's hundreds of condos in this building, so... Good luck with that. Yeah, tear, they need to tear fun. the whole fucking thing down and start over. That's yeah. the only thing to do with this fucking building. Well, yeah, I mean, they're, they're telling where they're going to make any money back is by selling it all for scrap and like starting over from scratch, right? And just and then settling with everyone or, or or telling them, hey, look, you know, we'll give you some money for now and then we're going to rebuild the building and you'll get first right of refusal and you'll get a free condo or whatever, right? So there's not there's no way they're going to make any money on this project anymore. It's It's too late. Yeah, and I wouldn't let the original developer lay a fucking finger on this thing the, the next time they work on it. Should know, especially with that other horror story about the place that didn't get built, right? Because the city was like, oh, this is not good. This 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 is not going to fly. Well, why did it fly with this one and not that one, right? That's It just seems like a lot of people fucked up and need to get their shit together. So that's why, we'll put, that's why we're putting it under get your shit together. All right, so let's move uh, on to down ballot and recall watch. What's this? Uh, what's this first story here? Well, uh, in the never-ending uh, recall watch. Uh, so now we're on recall watch for Chesa, our friend Chesa Boudin, the DA of San Francisco, our progressive DA, who is now under attack by the the establishment and the powers that be and the status quo um, for being different and trying to do different things. Um, and so now there's a count, uh, county or city supervisor, city and county supervisor, who is. Uh, on the warpath and going after uh, Chesa Boudin and looks like she's part of this uh, establishment movement to, to take him down. So he's, he's getting hit from all sides and we're going to hear a little bit more about it here. This is a su- supposed transparency law. And uh, one of the things I've learned is that when, <clears throat> when someone's just going after corruption, like as a political talking point, you better start open, opening your eyes and listening to what they're saying and being a little skeptical of them. Yes. Yeah, especially here. when they talk about transparency. A San Francisco supervisor is trying to force the district attorney and the police department to release detailed records about how often it arrests and prosecutes domestic violence offenders. It's a story our investigative unit broke last night. To date, that proposed law cleared a major hurdle. During a committee hearing this afternoon, supervisors voted to push the legislation forward to the full board for a final vote next month. Police captain spoke in favor of the new requirements. The DA's office did not attend, but District Attorney Chesa Boudin sent a letter criticizing the proposed law, saying the kind of data being requested wouldn't be enough to draw any fair conclusions about how well the office is fighting crime. Supervisor Catherine Stephanie, who proposed the legislation, took exception with that reasoning. My legislation doesn't stop the DA from releasing anything in addition to what's required in this legislation. In fact, it would be very welcome. I urge the district attorney to release what we've requested and more. 
If approved by the full board next month, both the DA's office and the police department would be required to start releasing new wave of data quarterly beginning in the new year. So this is like definitely them going after the DA, right? This doesn't have this doesn't have anything to do with like transparency or Yeah, no, this is just like this is the the team teaming up, right? All all of the disparate elements of of establishment, right? No matter if what side they're on and values wise, they're like this guy, whatever we think about anything else, this guy is no good because he's trying to disrupt our whole apple cart and and ruin our party. Um so we're all going to gang up and come at him from a bunch of different angles so that he can't, you know, defend himself everywhere. Right. Like he couldn't be here at this hearing. Right. Because it was just so trivial and stupid. Um, but he had bigger, bigger shit to do. And they're just going to try and, um, you know, get, uh, spread him thin and get, get him trying to fight a million battles at once so that, um, the, the recall might be successful, um, because he's just not able to focus on that. Um, I don't think that that'll be the case. Um, and I think he's already, playing triage here and, and, and realizing and, uh, you know, recognizing that this is just a bunch of bullshit that he shouldn't have to respond to in the first place. Um, also I didn't realize that, uh, we had our own like, uh, Bobert, Bobert or whatever, <laughs> uh, Marjorie Taylor green on, uh, the San Francisco board of supervisors. She sounds like a real trip. Yeah. I, you know, it seems like I don't think the recall is going to work. And I think that there's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy going on here too, where if, if him and his office are always like really distracted by a bunch of people, basically always gunning for them, they're not going to be able to do their best work. And, um, yeah, I just think it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. The guy hasn't been in office for very long. His agenda was, you know, fairly radical, I guess, uh, certainly getting rid of cash bail and, you know, trying to reduce sentencing and do more restorative justice things for in the community and whatnot. And it just, yeah. it, it, there's, there hasn't even been enough time for any of it to show any kind of effects, like as far as any kind of statistics that we're going to be able to gather. So this is just all, this is just all pretty fucked up. And I think that, uh, I think that, you know, we, we need to change the way we do policing and prosecuting. And if we're going to do that, it's going to take a little bit of time and not everybody's going to like it right away. And that's yeah. just the way the cookie crumbles. I hope the, hope the people of San Francisco kind of, kind of stick to their guns and, and, uh, you know, just don't sign the fucking recall petition when it goes around. Well, that's the thing. They've got the, apparently they've got enough signatures to get it on the ballot, so it's going to be on the ballot. Um, but it's really up to the voters to say, "Look, this is what we voted for. Uh, this is exactly what we voted for, and we want to stay the course." Um, but you're right; it's 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 going to be difficult for him. They're going to make it. Then this is a reminder that it's difficult for us if we really want to affect change, especially when it comes to public safety and law enforcement. It's not about one election, and it's not about one case, and it's not about you know what happened to Derek Chauvin or whatever. You know, it's 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 really not. It's um, it's the long game and like being kind of willing correct. to stay the course at, at least for at least for long enough to see if it's fucking working. Correct, and also to keep fighting. Right, we're gonna have to keep fighting these battles. We're gonna have to go out and fight this recall. You know, and he'll probably once that's done, if he survives that, he'll have re-election. Right, um, and you just have to keep fighting these battles um, if you want to get. It's with what they do, right? If you if we really want to get what we want, we can't just like say, "Oh, Barack Obama was elected president." We're suddenly like fucking post-racist environment in America. No, not at all. Like we, have, in fact, we have to fight even harder, right? Like the election of Barack Obama, if anything, inflamed the racist elements in America and really brought it bubbling to the surface again, right? To the point that we got Donald Trump, right? So remember that it's not done with one election. It's not done with one bill or one law right? You just, it's constant. It is constant. We have to fight for our democracy or someone will take it from us 
because it's much more beneficial to them and they have the power and the money to do it. All right, so, so we're going to move on yeah. to our next story. This one's out of Palo Alto. And uh, as you might imagine, Palo Alto, the people in Palo Alto have uh, fierce disagreements about what they might do to help people who are uh, homeless, if you could imagine that. Imagine that. And they've, they've been really conflicted politically about it. So this is just another example of uh, something good that's happened, but it's taken way too long for it to, to go down. Well, a church in Palo Alto celebrating a victory after a two-year fight to provide safe parking spaces for homeless families. This is the Unitarian Uni- Universalist uh, Church of Palo Alto, not far from Shoreline she and tried. the theater. NBC Barrier's Sidhu Quintana talked to the person behind the idea, who says he's stunned that it's so hard to help just a few families. At the Unitarian Universalist Church in Palo Alto and just about every other church in the Bay Area, parking is a valuable asset and often goes unused at night. But that doesn't happen here anymore. After um, our daycare closes and kids are off campus, um, our parking lot will open for um, the clients in our shelter. The church campus has more than 100 parking spaces in its lot. As of last week, some are now designated as safe parking spaces for unhoused people in the community. They've set up a wash station, a porta potty, there's access to a shower, and they're providing free Wi-Fi. But unfortunately, parking program coordinator Christopher Can says it was a Herculean effort to get this all approved. How many spaces are we talking about here? Four. So this is four passenger vehicles, not RVs. Um, Most will have one to two people. So the typical capacity of our lot, we will typically have six people statistically. The application process allows neighbors to object, which is what happened. A board member at the senior living facility next door asked for a review, which dragged out the process. She eventually dropped the request after Ken and other church members explained the program. We reached out to that board member for comment and have not got a response. Pushback is fine. Some of it is is necessary. It it creates conversation. I think it's the outcome that matters more than anything. Amber Stein heads up Move Mountain View, a homeless services agency that manages seven sites, including the Unitarian Church lot. They provide a security patrol, case management, and other services for the people using the parking spaces each night. Stein says she considers use of the Universalist lot a well-earned success. Christopher Kahn says it shouldn't be so difficult for church to try to help people. He hopes the city will streamline its application process and make it easier for other churches to make their lots available to people who could use them. In Palo Alto, I'm Sergio Quintana, NBC, Bay Area News. Yeah, what a pain in the ass, like. Either that this isn't even like a real solution to homelessness. It's just like letting people park their car somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it, it it just boggles my mind. And just earlier today, um, actually, the good wife is uh, uh, indisposed right now. She's uh, monitoring the county board of supervisors meeting. And earlier today, for like two, three hours flat, I had to overhear while I was trying to work public testimony from people surrounding a who who live in the area of a. Uh, uh, some motels that the county is going to repurpose through state funds into transitional housing, right? Motels, right? Places where like basically hookers and, and drug addicts are the only ones like frequenting right now, uh, but they're mostly vacant. Um, so they're going to repurpose it and let uh, families and, and people who are uh, currently homeless live there. Um, and so they will be not homeless, in fact, housed. Um, but you would, I mean, you would believe it, but just the litany of people like, three hours worth of people complaining and scared with all sorts of fear mongering and scare tactics about, you know, uh, crime and drugs and, 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 uh, violence and 
uh, parking issues and filth and blight and all this shit. And you're talking about these vacant hotels that are just sitting there blighted and vacant. And, and, and you've got people living on the street, right? Wandering the street. Um, and they're sitting there talking about how these folks are, you know, just going to bring crime and, and, and illness to their community. <laughs> um, so it's irrational. Um, but that's what you're dealing with and just, just trying to create four fucking parking spots for people to like park their cars overnight and maybe sit and maybe sleep in their cars uncomfortably. Right. And, and surf on their fucking phones. Um, we have it right here in my, in our, in our little affluent neighborhood, right? The Rose garden is right over here. Like the, 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 the affluent Rose garden or adjacent to that. And if you walk around the Rose garden at night, you see people in their cars, like just parked living in their cars. Like that's where they go to sleep because no one's, you know, they would hope no one's going to fuck with them, but you don't know. The neighbors are pretty testy around here and pretty sensitive. Um, but even here in the affluent Rose Garden, you know, so it's like, get over yourselves, right? The, the, the people, folks, folks are right here among us. Our neighbors, our friends, and there, but for the grace of God, go we, right? Like, we could easily be, you or I could easily be on the street, right? Nope, very easily. So, uh, more empathy would be fantastic. So you had mentioned a uh, uh, board of supervisors meeting. We've watched a couple board of supervisors meetings and <clears throat> there's an event. There's a reason there might not be a local Tuesdays next week. And that's because of this. Um, check this out. This is a fundraiser event, Tuesday, November 9th at 7 PM. A doors open at 6 30 PM and we can stop them from sacrificing everything to produce, pursue their transhumanist totalitarian agenda here in Santa Clara County. Um, and I'm thinking I'm going to go to this fundraiser. And just fucking set, set my little Zoom audio recorder down, sit there and try to tune out the fucking crazy. What you the fuck? Transhumanist? And like, what look does that at, mean? Look, look at the, there's fucking, mean? there's fucking, there's fucking like people on horses here. That, like, you know, like you see in San Jose all the time. It's, it's very Silicon Valley. Very Silicon Valley. We're going to ride in on our horses and save the city or the fucking county. It's that, or I don't, I don't know, because it's also, there's five supervisors, so is this like some sort of the, the five horsemen of the apocalypse, or horse, horse people of the apocalypse coming it's, to get us, right? It's literally the same graphic that they were using for this uh, Shasta County recall. Hmm. So it's like either the same group or like, you know, uh, affiliated groups of the people who are recalling the supervisors up in Shasta County that we've been, Media Wench has been covering the hell out of that on Monday nights. And so, uh, yeah. When we posted about it on Facebook, the people that follow us because of uh, Media Wench covering Shasta County were like, "What they even st they even stole the logo?" <laughs> so, uh, well, they're all in league together. I think there's some so there's obviously some sort of linchpin at the top of this or a kingpin. Um, uh, very interesting. What do you know? What transhumanist is? Are you familiar with that term? Or are you familiar with what they're what they're getting at? I um, I mean, I transhuman know. transhumanism is this idea that we're going to merge with machines one day, more or less. Okay. Um, but okay. I think they just mean that the virus turns you in or the vaccine turns you into a fucking chimera or some shit. I don't think that they're talking about that. Um, we did get into a little back and forth with the vice president of operations of this organization on Facebook today. <laughs> and uh, he was sending us like, he's like, here, here's 33 telegram groups you need to check out. And I said, don't you know that 33 is an evil Freemason number? Act like, you know, <laughs> how did they respond to that? They didn't respond. That was funny. They didn't respond to that one. They responded to other stuff. They're like, here's links to all this shit. And I'm like, I'm not watching all this shit. And I invited them on to, for an interview. They're like, oh, you need to do your homework. And I'm like, oh, you just want me to agree with you. That's not what's going to happen. I'm like, you don't want to come on. You don't want to come on. That's fine. Whatever. You need to, to do your own research and then we'll debate. Yeah, it was like, uh, it was like, uh, where to go. You should do your own research. There you go. Fucking Mr. Hey, uh, Brandon. 
So we're uh, at the, we're at the end of down ballot here. We always do one kind of human interest story or an animal interest story. This one's actually a human interest story. Apparently, this ha- this fucking story comes out by the way every fucking like ten years or something where they try to make it look like people want to like learn how to do curling. I'm sorry, nobody is interested in curling. Well, hey, the United States won a gold medal in the last Olympics in curling, so it's it's becoming a, a real hot trend. Apparently, <laughs> well, even Ian Cole from NBC Bay Area is learning how to curl. Here's the uh, here's the local news trying to convince people of that. Let's do it. <laughs> Every four years, the niche winter sport of curling gets ice hot. Yeah, chess on ice <laughs> is often what it's called. On this night at Solar for America Ice in San Jose, there are curling league games underway. And there's a Learn to Curl event on the side. They are coveted spots that sell out quickly. I'm joining in. It's a wonderfully social game. Uh, there's a lot of camaraderie to it. You're, every time you think you know what you're doing in the game, there's another layer to it. All of this is put on by the Silicon Valley Curling Club. Many of them got their start watching on TV. It's insane, actually, how much attention curling actually gets because no one really knows what it is until they see it on the Olympics, and then it's, they're fascinated by it. So nearly every Tuesday, the center rink, usually reserved for hockey, is transformed. We go through a lot of effort to make curling happen, even when we don't necessarily have a dedicated facility for that around. The club says in the lead up to the Olympics, demand soars. And during the games, they shut down the league to teach the curious public. So anyone of any age, skill level, physical ability can play um, as soon as they learn. So if you want to join in, here is how it's played. So two teams take turns throwing 40 pound stones of granite. Uh, They alternate doing that. They throw it at a bullseye and try to get as close to the center as possible. Everybody knows the sweepers or brushers. They're the folks that are helping to keep it going. The The idea is once everybody's thrown all their stones, you see which ones are closer and count the points. It's scored kind of like bocce ball and it's called curling because, well, the stones curl in on the ice toward the end. In the Olympics, there are 10 rounds or ends in a match, and there is an entire language of new lingo. The target is actually called the house. The center of that house is called the button. So when you get the hang of it, guys, you stand on the hack, you get your stone, you get ready to deliver it, and here we go. And let it go before the hog line. It is harder than it looks. And as for the newcomers at tonight's Learn to Curl event, they're now instant fans and perhaps future Olympians. Uh, I've always really been in love with the sport for like a lot of my life. And it's so much more tiring than I thought it would be. It's way more fun than I thought it would be. In San Jose, Ian Cole, NBC, Bay Area News. This happens every fucking time before the Olympics. And then like nobody gives a shit about this weird fucking granite game again. Well, that's what they were saying, right? We, uh, we, we get a lot of interest around the Olympics, and then we shut down the league to teach the interested, curious public. Hey, um, I wanted to give a quick shout-out. Uh, so I, I threw it in the Ninja chat, but um, there actually was an election tonight uh, in Santa Clara County because um, it is election day. It's the first Tuesday after the first Monday in November. Um, so I just want to give a quick shout-out to both Berryessa Union School District and Los Gatos Union School District, who both had uh, parcel taxes on the ballot tonight uh, or today. And it looks as though in early returns, they are both passing. They both required a two-thirds vote 
Um, and both of them are over 70% at this point. So they're in good shape to pass. So congratulations. Looks like those districts will be getting a little more revenue in the near future to like, pay people and shit. Fucking fantastic. Everybody, thanks for reading. Uh, thanks for reading. Thanks for watching down now. Thanks for listening to the down ballot podcast. Uh, since I can't speak, you want to read us out councilman. Absolutely. As always, uh, please uh, give us a subscription at twitch.tv slash Echoplex Media and go to uh, patreon.com backslash Echoplex to, uh, or not backslash, just slash Echoplex uh, to give us some show bucks, um, become a monthly subscriber, get links and downloadables and all sorts of fun shit. Um, and you can on Twitch, if you subscribe and, and give it and drop us some show bucks, you'll get some emotes and, and, and all sorts of other fun shit too. So please do that. Go to echoplexmedia.com for more information about this and all of the other wonderful streams that we have seven days a week. Um, and uh, producer Dave, I, I'm totally leaving it up to you to to pick a song to play us out. It looks like Audible Smoke, and I like that. This is Audible Smoke. This is Locals, and uh, we'll be back in a little bit here. I'm gonna take a break, turn all the lights red, and uh, yeah, thanks everybody. Hang out. We're gonna do doing local love pretty soon here. Peace out. <laughs> Driving in my car just to get to where they are Here at the local scene is where I plant my feet It's where I smoke my cigarette and I hold my drink I look at all my friends, they're all blazing greens Here at the front of the stage waiting for MTV Where are those guys who's standing next to me With a pipe in his hand ready to blaze for me About five minutes later we're all singing Queen to get the fuck up on stage and rock the scene Yeah, we do what we want what we want is to jam, so sit back and enjoy the band. We do what we want. What we wanna do? And what we want is to jam, so sit back and enjoy the band. Enjoy that band. I turn and head back to the bar for a refill, man, because you know where we are. We're headed out to the car to smoke another one and another one. Now just when the magic starts kicking in, I hear we left playing, you know it's time to head in. Alright everybody, now it's time to grab a new drink, spark it if you got it and then pass it to me. Yeah. We do what we want, and what we want is to jam, so sit back and enjoy the band. We do what we want, what we want to do, and what we want is to jam, so sit back and enjoy the band, enjoy that band. Last up on the field for the show tonight, it's down and dirty in five, so we're headed outside, to spark up another joint, now who's got my lighter, stoner E, of course, shouldn't you be inside? I'm all up in this bitch, being who I gotta be, I'm fucked up like the US economy, the truth is, is that I don't Now inside motherfuckers is rockin' me And outside shit we smoke a lot of rockin' Rockin' the rollie, all that sexy girl be jockin' me Ain't too drunk to fuck, but I'll probably do it sloppily We do what we want 
wanna do And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band Dance with the band and enjoy the band We do what we want And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band Bob